Speaking of the Lord Jesus, he was here on this very earth. Of course, he started out as an infant, as a babe, and we celebrate that event uh, during this particular season of the year. And he grew for the sole purpose of suffering and dying on a cross so that ones like you and I would be in peaceful relationship with an otherwise unapproachably holy God. While he was here, he trained up some close followers of his. We call them disciples. And if he didn't do that, what a brilliant strategy. It's possible you and I would not have heard the gospel message today. It wasn't the masses of people who had needs for material things that went and at great sacrifice shared the gospel. It was the disciples whom the Lord trained up. They were just ordinary men, fishermen, smelly fishermen, and he taught them to be fishers of men. And so in sequence down to this very age, you and I have heard the gospel message and it's gone, is going around the world through Southern Baptist and other missionaries. Well, the Lord's disciples, as you could imagine, had developed quite an affinity for him, quite an attachment. He was a rabbi like none other. And then once he told them, well, my time here is up. Soon I'll be taking leave of you and there will be a literal physical separation between you and I. As you might imagine, they were upset about this, quite confused. He was a shepherd, the likes of which they had never had. And they began to ask the questions we would ask. What will happen to us now? How do we then live without you? And last week, we began to see that the Lord gave them some very hopeful promises, one of which was this. He said, do not despair, for you'll do greater works than I have done. I think some mistakenly, as I pointed out, think that means greater physical miracles than the Lord Jesus. Oh, come on. Have some respect for what he did. You cannot top what he did. Good night, he raised people from the dead. I do not think that's what it means, that we will do greater works. I mentioned to you last time, I think the greater works meant that the gospel would be extended far beyond the confines of Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and that was the spatial area to which the Lord was limited. Even now, the gospel in our day has gone around the world. We just saw a little image of what Southern Baptist missionaries are doing right now. In the Lord's day, the gospel was restricted to a particular land. And uh, since the Lord's day, when indwelt by the Holy Spirit, his people have taken the gospel in many, many languages all over the world. Those are the greater works. And so the Lord was essentially saying, don't despair. Your life need not be aimless and purposeless in my absence. You'll do greater works. And then he began to tell them how they will uh, succeed in pulling off these greater works. And the first thing he said to them, if you recall last week, he said, ask me and I'll give you everything you need. In other words, he said, pray. He said, essentially, you need not be separated from me in essence, though you are separated from me physically. You will not see me any longer face to face. You'll not feel my touch or anything like that. But don't worry, I'll be accessible to you, even though you don't see me. And uh, that will be through the vehicle of prayer. And so he said, in order to succeed in doing these greater works, be sure to pray for me. But we had to stop with that one last week. But there was more in the list of recommendations that the Lord was giving his disciples then and we now in order to succeed in the Great Commission. The first was prayer. And the second can be summed up in one word. It's this word, obedience. Obedience. I'm not sure this is going to be a pleasant evening for us. This is a bit of a hard message and an invitation to get it right with God tonight, folks. I'm talking about Christians now. I know, I know in terms of our salvation, we have it right. We've been saved. 
redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And yet so many of us seem to be crippled in our walk, hobbling because of disobedience. And so I want to focus on this because the Lord does. He says in two ways you can accomplish the greater works which I've given you to do. First is to pray, and the second is to obey. Now, just to be sure we're not confused about what obedience means, I, I looked it up in a simple way in an ordinary English dictionary. Here's what it means to obey. It means compliance with an order, a request, or a law, or submission to another's authority. That's what it means. We can do the greater works of Jesus, he is saying, through the vehicles of prayer and obedience. And the verse before us tonight, just one verse is all we'll look at tonight, but it's okay, there's plenty in there. It's in John chapter 14, verse 15. It says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Those are the words of Jesus. I'm just repeating it here. When I read it, began to study over the week, I, I couldn't go further. I was just taken up by the facets of obedience and its implications. And I wanted to get right with God in all ways when I began to see the seriousness of so doing. Now, there are many expressions of love for the Lord Jesus, for sure. But the clearest is obedience to his commandments. No, make, make no mistake about it. If you love me, you will go to church. Yeah, that's an act of love. If you love me, you'll sing in the choir. Sure it is. If you love me, you'll give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Absolutely. If you love me, you'll even go on a short-term mission trip. I got all that. But if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You see, all those other things can be done really with the wrong motive. And uh, there are many people who do those things not motivated rightly. But, but the clearest indication of love for the unseen Lord Jesus is that we simply keep his word. Listen, you will know that you know him and that you love him. Make no mystery about it. Are you doing what he said? I ask myself that question as well. Don't let me preach to you tonight. I need to hear my own words, and especially the words of the Lord Jesus here. Do I really love him? Well, yeah, I go to church. I read the Bible once in a while and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, for sure. Anybody could do that. Do you love me? If so, comply with what I've asked you to do. If you love me, keep my commandments. I was in England many years ago, uh, decades ago, actually. I was stationed there in the uh, United States military, and... Uh, I had the privilege of uh, leading some other uh, military guys to Christ, and then I, I was discipling them. And I, I would bring them to a, an Anglican church, a Church of England place, in a place called Bury St. Edmunds. Bury St. Edmunds, ancient place. I met there a pastor. They called them rectors, a rector there. His name was Roy Rimmer, Roy Rimmer, great guy. And he was in the same organization I was in. It's called the Navigators. So he was a very conservative evangelical member of the Church of England. And he invited us from the base to come out, get off the base, and uh, see the culture and interact with real live British people who speak English correctly and all that kind of stuff. And we would go there. We'd go to his church. It was uh, magnificent. 12th century is when it was built. 12th century. Had a beautiful pipe organ in there, and you should have heard it when it was played with skill by the organist, some guy. One time I went over to the rector, Rector Rimmer, said I, 
Where did you get that guy? That was magnificent what he just did. He said, oh, yeah, he's gifted. He, uh, he travels all over England playing the organ. Ah, said I. He said, but you may be surprised to know, he told me, he does not know the Lord. Surprised, said I. I'm dumbfounded. What do you mean? How could he play these hymns of the faith so gloriously without even knowing the one to whom these songs are to be addressed? And he said, here in England, that kind of thing is just an art form. He's just a traveling musician. He's more in love with playing the organ than he is with the God who gave him the hands and the heart and the mind and the brain to put it all together and be able to offer that offering to Almighty God. And so you see, the, the Lord is not evaluating him based on his church attendance or magnificent organ playing. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And this man at that time surely was not doing so. There is a separation between church attendance and love of God, giving and love of God, but there's no separation between obedience and love of God. And that's why the Lord gives us that criteria of love here in John chapter 14, verse 15. By obedience, the Lord showed his love for the Father. And by obedience, he tells us we can show our love for him. There's a close connection between love and obedience in the sense that when you love someone, isn't it easier to obey that person? When you love someone, aren't you motivated from within and freely to figure out that which would be pleasing to that person and to do it for them? I hope as you're still perhaps in the midst of Christmas shopping, you're not buying standardized gifts for the ones you want to show love to. I'll bet you're seeking to customize and personalize them. I'll bet you're thinking about what would this person like? And there are all kinds of items on the shelves in our stores. And I'll bet you're passing by a number thinking, oh, no, he wouldn't like that. Oh, she wouldn't like that. Oh, this is perfect. This is exactly what she would like. Don't you see that kind of thing is easy when you have a love relationship with someone? And the Lord says, that's the kind of relationship I want you to have with me. Love makes obedience easier. But though there is the obedience of love, which is what we're talking about here, do you know about this? There's also the obedience of fear. And that's the kind of thing uh, characterized by this. When we seek to do that, which we believe the Lord wants us to do, we do it afraid. That's not the obedience of love the Lord is desirous of. That's the obedience of fear. That's the obedience of slaves. That's the obedience of the cracked whip. That's the obedience com uh, compelled, compelling slaves to render who are doubtful about their standing with the master. That's the obedience designed to avoid punishment. No, that's not what the Lord is after. Notice this text is addressed to those who are already saved they're not exhorted to obey God to be saved. They're exhorted to obey him since they already are. They don't fear punishment, realizing that the punishment, the stroke, do them, had already, will soon, fall upon the shoulders of their own crucified Lord. They're not obeying. We're not supposed to be motivated to obey just to avoid punishment. My dogs do that. No, ours is supposed to be a higher level of obedience motivated freely by love for the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing he will not punish us. The stroke to us has already befallen him. So for those who are already saved, God's perfect love, have you heard this? 
has cast out all fear. You know what's interesting? The same writer of this book we've been immersed in for months and months and months, John's Gospel, that same writer wrote other stuff. Uh, he wrote 1 John, for instance. And in 1 John chapter 4, 18, he wrote what you see on the screen. John, same John who wrote the Gospel of John, in 1 John said, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. That's God's love for us. Because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. I hope I, I hope you are being perfected, immersed, basking in the Lord's love, because it motivates us to love him back by obeying him. So we ask is your obedience in mind, is it like the obedience of a slave? It should not be. It ought to be more like the obedience of a son or a daughter. If it's, like, if it's still like the obedience of a slave, forgive me for maybe tripping you up, I wonder if you really know him. That's not the right kind of obedience. If you're moved by fear of the Lord rather than love for the Lord, you're not being properly motivated so there is the obedience of fear of punishment, and there also is the obedience which seeks reward and favor from the one in authority. Rewards is what this fear doesn't want to lose. But folks, those who are already his, you and I, I hope, know we've already been rewarded with the Lord's good favor. We cannot have any more or less of it than we already do because his favor is not based on anything we do or do not do. His favor is based upon our relationship with him and that he has adopted us just as we are into his family. We're not seeking, I hope not, to submit to the Lord Jesus out of a crass motive for reward or merely to win his favor when we already have it. So neither the obedience of fear nor the obedience of favor is what is in view here in the text before us. No, this verse is speaking clearly of the obedience of love. The obedience of love. The Lord Jesus is saying, if you love me, do what I say. This verse is telling us that the motivation behind our obedience to God must be our love for him. In fact, if you are a believer... This is the only acceptable motivation for our obedience. If you and I feel motivated, not by love of Christ, but by fear of Christ, we are not being properly motivated. Listen to this from 2 Corinthians 5.14. For the love of Christ controls us. Have you heard that? that? That's not about our love for him. Trust me on this. That's a reference to his love for us. His love for us is what constrains or controls us. Not a heavy hand, not externally imposed precepts, statutes, and laws, not the slave of a the obedience of a dictatorial master. No, the love of Christ for us is what ought to control our behaviors. It's his love for us that ought to move us by showing love to him through our obedience to his command. In fact, I believe Christ's love for us is the only legitimate motivation for our submission to him. Now religions of all stripes seek to motivate people to submit to God, 
but they do so by law, not by love. I come from a tradition of deeply religious people motivated by our laws to do various things, and yet you can't see the love of God in their lives. I remember after I came to know the Lord, uh, one of my relatives passed away. I returned to New York for the funeral. I was riding in the hearse with my mother. It was her mother, my grandmother, who had just passed away. It was at that time when I was sharing my faith with my mother. She was filled with all kinds of questions. I mean, here she is in this rich religious background with all kinds of rabbis in our family, cousins galore, tons of rabbis. We're all on the way to this funeral, and they surely looked like they had it together, spiritually speaking. And I didn't really know what to say to my mother with her questions at that time. I simply said, Mom, watch their lives. That's all. See if you see the love of God in their lives. Well, God really helped me out then. I was new to the faith and not too good at defending it, but God really used that because at the funeral, my rabbi cousins were very unlovely. I remember I was one of the pallbearers, and apparently in holding the casket, my grandmother's casket with the other men, I, I took one too many steps, apparently. Okay, this is what happens. I don't think it bothered my, at that time my grandmother at all, but it apparently bothered my rabbi cousins, and they publicly rebuked me in front of everyone. Well, that really was helpful because you don't want to rebuke my mother's son. She's a Jewish mother. You know, you don't want to do that. So she began to see that and all kinds of other things. On one occasion, one of the uh, cemetery workers picked up a shovel um, to put some dirt into the, you know, fill the hole. And another one of my rabbi cousins rebuked him because there's some rabbinical law that says a Gentile cannot do that at a Jewish funeral. We're supposed to do the burial. And I'm thinking, good night. We're sweating bullets out here. It's hot as could be. This good guy's going to help us put the dirt in a hole. Man, get out of the way and let him do his thing thing. Anyway, my mother was seeing all these graphic illustrations. I was just telling her, I was telling mom, they're religious. They have a concept of God. But if God was in them, don't you think you would see other things, a gentleness, a graciousness, and a love for him and for others? And I'm going to tell you, that really helped my mother about, oh, 10 days after that to accept the Lord Jesus as her as her particulars. I'm not trying to put down my cousins. I'm just trying to say, come on, folks. If we really know and love the... Is that for my cousins? <laughs> if we really know and love the Lord Jesus Christ, come on, we ought not be motivated by the fear of a slave. His indwelling spirit in us ought to move us to do that which we know to be pleasing to him. So God desires us to love him freely, not under not under compulsion. He wants our obedience to be, I want to, not a, I have to. Let me offer an illustration. Uh, I, I have shared, I think, on many occasions here. Forgive me. It's not like I don't have new illustrations, but, but this is a good one. In this situation, it bears repeating. Speaking of my mother, she lived to be 100 years old, passed away uh, at the age of 101 months. And when she was alive, she had a birthday. In fact, she had many. And uh, I overlooked one. She was living apart uh, in another state, and I was away. No excuse. I just forgot. 
So I got a phone call from my mother, who apparently did not forget. And so she said, you know, Stuart, how's everything? Are you all right? Yeah, I'm fine. How's the family? Everyone's fine, yeah. Well, I'm just wondering because, you know, it was my birthday, and it's not like you. I, I didn't hear from you. She wasn't angry. She said, I'm not angry at you at all. I'm just, I'm just concerned. It's not like you. I want to tell you something. That hurt like crazy. I forgot my mother's birthday. I was not fearful of her anger. I was not fearful that she would withdraw her love from me. That was the point. I knew I had it without condition and in an immeasurable way. I knew there was nothing I could do to shake my mother's loving hold on me. That's why forgetting her birthday bothered me. I didn't violate some external law. I violated a higher law, the law of love. And that affected me. Well, let me tell you, I never forgot my mother's birthday again. And this is how the Lord wants to be romanced, if you don't mind me using that expression. He doesn't want us to fearfully think if we do not comply with his standards, he will withdraw his love from us. Please give him more credit. His love is affixed to the unlovely by his grace and his mercy, which is undiminished never will come to an end. He wants us to be more motivated by potential violation of the law of love than by, as we have in Judaism, 613 externally imposed commandments. No, he wants, he wants to be motivated. He wants our love for him to be motivated by relationship. He wants us to follow a person, not a program of statutes and laws and all the rest. Now, the literal translation of the verse under our consideration tonight is this. If you love me, my precepts you will guard. That's what it literally says in that order in Greek. If you love me, my precepts you will guard. Well, that hit me because we guard things we value. We guard that which we do not want to lose. If we love God, the verse says, we will guard his precepts, his word. In other words, they will not quickly be heard, pass through one ear and out the other. No, they will take up their residence in our hearts. So then, if God is to be loved when his word is kept, if that's the indication of our love for God, our compliance with his word, doesn't that imply an interest which should be in our lives in learning more and more of his word? This being the case, I want to offer to you what I, I do if I don't forget annually. This year, I want to thank Bill Brummett. Is Bill, there's Bill right back there in the cheap seats. And Bill sent me a helpful email uh, suggesting that I make these available to you, and I'm so glad he did. And, oh, look at that. And it looks kind of weird. It's a chart of Bible reading. Starts with Genesis, goes all the way through Revelation, and there's a box for every chapter in every book of the Bible. I got it all on one sheet. It's unembellished. You could take this. 
You can begin reading God's Word. Where? Wherever you want to. But once you read a chapter in His Word, fill in the box. And then you'll know you read that chapter. Uh, the next morning, you could read another chapter. Hopefully in the same book. You want to do this in order. Fill in the box. And then after time, you'll be encouraged in seeing, hopefully, you have filled in all the boxes. When that happens, don't throw this away. You should frame it and ask me for another one and then start it again. This is not a yearly Bible reading plan. I'll tell you why. I've used those, but they make me feel guilty. Because if you forget a day or two, then you got to read three times as much the next day. If you happen not to do that the next day, you are so far behind the power curve, you just say, ah, forget it. You don't do anything. So uh, I don't set any standards like that for myself because I'm not disciplined enough to rise to the occasion. I just want to read God's word over time. So, so this helps me. I fold it. I put it in the front of my Bible. And while I'm waiting for this or that or other things, I can read a chapter of Scripture, and then I can fill in the box, and I can be encouraged by forward movement. I could see myself going through the Bible and it getting into me, and there's no guilt. So there's no time limit. You can finish this in six months. You can finish it in six years. Anyway, if you'd like this, I've put some here on these steps, one pile here, one pile here. And I think it would be even more convenient for you to help yourself to some in the lobby. I've left them in the lobby at the information desk. Uh, on both sides of the information desk, you can help yourself to this. It occurs to me, if we uh, obey God, we're loving God. But if we want to love God, we have to know what it is he wants for us to obey. And don't miss the sometimes lost art of simple Bible reading. Read what the Bible says. Don't worry about Answers to everything that perplexes you. Read it. Get the mind of Christ in you by going through everything. What I like to do is read something in the Old Testament. When I finish that book, then I like to read one of the Gospels or something like that. Don't skip around. Don't read one chapter in Deuteronomy and then next week one chapter in Matthew. Please show some respect to the Word of God. He's given it to us in books. Each book has a beginning, a middle, and an end. If you get into to a book of the Bible halfway, you're missing the context. Frankly, that's what leads to cults. That's how cults start. They pull stuff out of context and they fool naive people into following them because you think, well, that's in the Bible. There's a lot of stuff in the Bible which, if taken out of context, can cause big trouble. So I find just Bible reading. Pick a book, read it from beginning to end. That will help you to get the mind of Christ Figure out what it is he wants you to do, how he wants you to live. Then it's up to you to do it, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, because you want to love the author of this Bible who has authored salvation freely and irreversibly in you. Now, remember the context of the text of this verse that we're reading. The Lord, as I mentioned, is soon leaving his disciples. They are distressed. He offers them hope and comfort by assuring them, as we saw last week, he has big plans for them. They're going to do greater works through prayer. Now he wants to comfort them by offering something else they can do in order to accomplish these greater works, and that is don't let disobedience get in the way. Obey me. 
Now, I want to ask you how John 14, 15 really could comfort them. They're distressed about his departure. He says, if you love me, you obey me. How is that a word of comfort? Think about it. Almighty God cares about how little old you and me live. That's very comforting. When people don't care about how you live, they approve of your misbehaviors. They don't care. Do what you want to do. You know what they say? If it feels good, do it. Well, that's not love at all. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, is transcendent but not distant. He's very concerned about how we live. Every one of his commandments is designed to communicate to us, I love you. I'm not indifferent about how you live. I'm not neutral about it. I'm your father. I'm concerned about how you live. I've shared this with you as well. Here we go again. Uh, I I grew up in New York. We didn't camp because there's no grass, just concrete. So we did urban camping on the roofs of buildings. That's what we did. You want to camp? You, you, you sleep on a roof. So the kids on the block said, hey, what about this Friday night? We camp out. Want to hear this irony? It was on the flat roof of a Methodist church building. Jewish kids sleeping out on the roof of the building. So all the kids said, oh, so the kids, oh, you got to check with my parents, see if I can do it. Every kid said that. I got to check with my parents, but not me. I didn't have to check with my dad because though I had a dad, he was there but not there. He was was overwhelmed by his addiction. He was an alcoholic and a compulsive gambler. He never hit me, never abused me. He might as well have done it. (laughs) Being an absentee dad had even a worse effect. So the kids thought I really had it licked. Stuart can do anything he wants. He can come and go as he pleases. And I made it look like uh, everything was cool. I don't have to check with anyone. I can do my own thing. But inside, I was torn up. Why is it that my dad didn't care enough about me to say no? To set bounds. And I grew up to this very day insecure. Insecure. All the studies indicate kids who grow up with parents who set bounds for them grow up feeling loved And they have a higher measure of security than anybody else. When my heavenly father, the perfect dad I never had, nor did you, tells me, Stuart, don't do that. Stuart, do this. Oh, my goodness. Those are words of comfort. The Lord of lords and the king above all kings cares about how puny folks like you and I live. He doesn't give us commandments to cramp our style. He gives us commandments so that we live life more skillfully. And his commandments emanate from the giver of life. He knows how to live life with skill. And he's so concerned about us. He's not, if it feels good, do it. No way. Don't do that. Do this instead is what he he says. Now, folks, all this... uh, Talk about obedience as a clear sign of our love for God has perhaps made you a little uncomfortable. It it, it did me as I was thinking about this and studying. I'll tell you why. I, maybe you, realize um, (laughs) we have not and uh, we probably will not obey God perfectly. So where does that put us? 
Well, if you feel that concern, I'm not obeying God perfectly. I mean, welcome uh, to the real world. That's true of every Christian. We do not obey God perfectly with perfection. But here's the point. If you're a Christian, do you notice this? Do you notice, having come to be one who knows Christ, do you notice that you're living life differently? I mean, that happened to me when I accepted Christ, September 5th, 1973. It's quite interesting. <clears throat> I started not to want to get drunk as much, a little bit. But, I mean, I didn't hear from any Baptist pastor or anything like that. It was just something going on inside of me. I, I, was, I was ceasing to use the Lord's name in vain. That's kind of a weird deal. I didn't even know you're not supposed to do that. I haven't even read that in the Bible yet. Something was happening in me. It was kind of spooky. I was, no, I was not obeying God with perfection, not then, not now. But my attitude towards sinning changed. I used to run towards sin. Now I'm trying to run from it. Is that true of you? Don't you see that's a sign of regeneration? That's a sign of Christ's spirit being in you. That's not some Baptist preacher screaming at you. That's God's still small voice on the inside telling you, don't do this. Do that. Don't go that way. Go this way. Man, that's a, that's a, so no, I don't obey God with perfection this side of heaven, neither do you, but my whole desire to do what God has said has really changed radically. I couldn't have cared less in the old days, and now I do. I want to do what pleases God. I don't have to. I want to, because I don't want to violate the law of love. Listen to what, uh, John said, again, in 1 John, in this case, chapter 4, verse 19. This is what he said. We love because he first loved us. So if your response to God is not motivated by his preceding response to you, you're probably not saved. See, because he first loved us, as a response, we love him. We don't love him out of the blue. We don't know him. We don't seek him. We run from him. But when he indwells us, when we got saved, we have been affected by his preceding and enabling love, and now we want to love him back in return. So there's very, very, something very different that's happened to us if you're a Christian. You ought to see evidence of it. And if not, yeah, you ought to doubt your salvation. Yeah. Now, there's also something very different about the way God loves us and the way we love him. Here's what I mean. When God loves us, you know who he's loving? A very unlovely object of his love. You know, when God loves us, it's always an in spite of love. <laughs> it is never, I love you because. <laughs> there's no cause. There's nothing in us that causes his love. Are you kidding me? We are spiritually ugly. We are unattractive. We violate his commandments. Sin is in our members. He is sinless. So when God loves us, it's always an anyway kind of love. God says, I see all the stuff that you're about, but I love you anyway. But there's not a person in here <laughs> who should love God that way. And I'll tell you why. He's perfect in all of his perfections. He has no defects or flaws. 
<laughs> we don't have to love God anyway. We don't have to love him in spite of. When we love him, we are simply giving him his due. He's worthy of our love because he is perfect in all his ways. So it really cost God to love us much more than it costs us to love him in response. He has to love some unattractive people. Look at the folks sitting next to you. But when we love him, oh my goodness, we love the sinless one, can't even be tempted by sin. The one who has no beginning nor any end. The one who is all powerful and all wise and all knowing. The one who never has to say, I'm sorry. The one who does nothing on impulse, who makes no mistakes. The ones whose motives are always pure. The one who has no selfish motivations whatsoever. The one who wants to redeem folks for he desires none to perish, but for all to be saved. It's easy to love that God, but it really costs that God to love ones such as us. So I ask you, my fellow Christians, is your obedience to Christ the obedience of fear, or is it the obedience of faith? I found that expression in Romans chapter 1. Paul uses it, the obedience of faith. So what is the obedience of faith? Well, the obedience of fear is about trying to win God's favor. But if you already have God's favor by faith in Messiah Jesus, then your motive for obedience is entirely different. Yours is the obedience of faith. It's a response to a person, a gracious and merciful and forgiving and loving and intensely holy person. So I ask you as we close... Uh, my fellow Christians, how are you doing in this area? I promise you I've asked myself this question before coming here tonight. Um, how are you doing in this area of obedience? How are you loving our Lord who first loved you and loves you eternally and unconditionally? Is the obedience compelled? Is it the obedience of fear or is it the obedience of faith? Now, let me get even a little more pointed. Is there an area of disobedience you need to confess tonight to the Lord Jesus and repent of? It's Christmas season. It's the time of gift giving. We sing beautiful hymns like joy to the world. What about joy to the Lord? I have a feeling what would give him joy if we do, is if we do some house cleaning right here tonight, privately. I have done it before coming to you tonight. So again, that's why I'm saying I'm not preaching down at anybody. <clears throat> Let's give the Lord some joy during this Christmas season when we give each other gifts. What would he appreciate more than anything? Compliance with his commandments and directives. I'm going to ask you to bow your head. Again, this is just private. We never embarrass anybody. Please bow your heads and close your eyes. And I would just like to ask you, I'll give you just a brief moment of silence. Would you be willing to ask God's Spirit to search your heart and see if there be any hurtful, sinful way in you? David one time prayed that, you know. Pray about it. See if he puts his finger on anything. And he may not even have to try too hard. You may be laboring over some area of unconfessed sin. You've not lost God's favor, though you probably think you have. 
He's not waiting to punish you. He surely will not leave you alone in your sin. He aches and grieves because he knows how better things could be for you. I wish because he has first and forevermore loved you. Based upon his love, you would be motivated to, to have a clean slate tonight. Say, Lord Jesus, I sin in this area. I can make no promises that I will not do it again, for though I trust you, I don't trust me. What I can tell you is that it is sin. I make no excuses about it, and I turn from it to you. Help me. Strengthen me. Please help me to break this pattern of this repeated sin in my life. And then say, thank you, Lord Jesus, no matter what. You will never leave me nor forsake me. You love me anyway. Would you have that conversation, please? Father, we, we do come to you, Lord Jesus. We, we thank you for every time that we can assemble as a body of believers together to, to look at your word and to gaze upon your word and to study your word, but ponder your word. May we ponder in our hearts that, uh, that you find us faithful, that we will uh, exercise this, this faith. And uh, uh, we thank you for that. We thank you for this time of year and, and what it means to believers. Uh, and I, I pray for all the families that are represented here that, that they, when they gather together, that uh, it'll be a time of worship in their homes and their, their family gatherings. And, and we just thank you for that. In your name we pray. Amen.